in Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. The word of our Lord from the epistle says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things you sent a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. O blessed Lord, You have caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning. We pray that you would enable us to hear them, to read them, to mark them, to learn them, and to digest them inwardly. That we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Last week we talked about unity within the body of Christ, unity as a family. Our sermon title was A Family United, and you'll notice in your bulletins, and you'll notice up here, our sermon title this morning is A Family Responsible. We're going to be talking about responsibilities within the church. We long for unity within our families, and God longs for unity within His family, but Because of that unity and in order to help that unity, in order to strengthen it and in order to create that unity, there must be shared responsibilities within that family. God's desire is for a family. And not just a family, God wants a growing family. And being part of a family comes with a variety of implications. You might call them action steps, things that we ought to be doing, things that we ought to be doing as people of God, things that we ought to be doing as His sons and daughters. Those action steps are responsibilities that we have to do something, to take part in the life of the family. 
and to take part in the expansion of the family. The fact is that most of us, not just in our congregation, but most Christians, particularly in our culture, most of us would rather be family friends of God rather than part of the family of God. We would rather have a, a, an acquaintance type relationship with his church rather than to be part of his church. But our relationship with Jesus, the scriptures are very plainly clear, depends directly upon and is directly connected to our relationship with his church. Cyprian of Carthage, one of the church fathers, said, You cannot have God as your father without having the church as your mother. And we may not like that type of language, but the fact remains the same. That we must, if we are to have a relationship with God, have a relationship with His church. Our, our closeness to Christ is directly tied to our closeness to other believers. And not just a casual closeness with other believers, but the way we put ourselves responsible to and responsible for one another. You cannot be a part of God's family without being a part of God's family in a local and visible and tangible way. It's impossible. There is no church but the church that you can see. There is no church but the church that you can hear singing over your shoulder behind you. There is no church but the church that actually takes up the labor of caring for the poor and caring for the elderly. That's why the church's responsibility to care for the poor, to care for the, elder, to, to the elderly, to care for the sick is of so much importance. Because without us going to them, their relationship with the church is anemic and their relationship with Christ will stumble. Most Christians want to talk an awful lot about loving Jesus. We want to talk an awful lot about being in a relationship with Him. In fact, we'll fight tooth and nail over whether or not Christianity is a religion or a relationship as though the two are necessarily diametrically opposed. This isn't a religion, this is a relationship. And what we typically mean by that is, don't you dare expect anything of me. My relationship with Christ is whatever I'll make it to be. I'll do as I like, and I'll go where I like. But there is no relationship to be had with Jesus unless we are to make ourselves responsible to others. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. 
loving our enemies, blessing those who curse us, praying for those who spitefully use us. All of those different phrases that we recall from the Scriptures about what we owe to others and how we ought to relate to others, all of them call us to be responsible to others. We have a responsibility as God's people to love others. We have a responsibility as God's people to to care for those that we love. And Paul here talks about the needs that he had, and, and he, he, he's constantly wavering. You catch that in, in Philippians. Those of you who have been coming to the Bible study on Sunday nights, you, you're starting to sense a, a theme here maybe. Uh, as Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians, he talks about being torn between this and that. And here we've got another one of those texts where he talks about a need and he says, well, no, I'm not saying I've got need. And he says, I'm glad you're caring again. Well, it's not that you didn't care. You see that sort of, I don't know what to call it. It's almost, if I didn't feel bad saying it, I'd call it double speak. But uh, that's almost what it sounds like where he's very careful. He doesn't want to say this, but he does want to say that. But Paul says, you people cared for me. You can even sense it in his voice. You cared for me as your very own family. You cared for me as your very own brother. And he says, even from the beginning of the gospel, when I began to go out and to preach the gospel, you were the only church that partnered with me. And you gave to my needs. And he said, here again you have met my needs and you have sent Epaphroditus in order to help in doing that. He says, but look, I'm I'm not seeking a need being met on my behalf. He says, I am seeking the blessings of God on you. And then he ends the passage with, a, with a, a, a verse we often take so poorly out of context. My God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And notice that he says that because of how they have given of themselves. God always blesses His people, not so that they can be blessed, but so that they can be a blessing to others. God isn't interested in filling up a bunch of uh, concrete ponds, as the Beverly Hillbillies would call them, filling up a bunch of swimming pools for His people. He is interested in streams of living water pouring out into His world. And so God blesses us to be a blessing to one another and to ultimately the entire world, the entire creation. And Paul says here, Because of what you have done, my God shall supply your needs. You have no need to worry because God is faithful Paul says another, has another verse here that we so often take out of context. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here, Paul is talking about being impoverished and being in deep need, but also being well blessed and being well funded. And he says, Look, I can do whatever Christ has for me, whether it's hardship or whether it's blessing. 
he, he puts that in this sort of context, not in the context of a football game where you can just win the game because Jesus is going to help you. Paul here is writing to people he considers to be his very own family. And to people who have treated him as family. And Paul brings up some awkward subjects. Because he's talking particularly here about financial giving. They have been a blessing to him monetarily. And this morning as we talk about some of the responsibilities that we have as members of the family of God. We're going to touch on a, some uncomfortable subjects. And we'll start with the two hardest of, of these subjects. Responsibility within the family of God begins with first simply showing up. If we are to be responsible to one another, then I, as Paul would say, I implore you, I beseech you by the mercies of Christ, show up. Why? Pastor, I don't like showing up, it's too early. The room's too big. It's cold. It's been rainy. Man, I was working all day yesterday. I'm tired. Why in the world do I need to show up? Why does it matter? I encourage you to show up, not just so we can have a good crowd here on Sunday mornings. A good crowd's exciting. A good crowd does bring some energy. A good crowd does does, uh, help alleviate the comments like, boy, our... Tendency is kind of down, isn't it? Am I right, Todd? <laughs> a good crowd's wonderful, but I encourage you to show up not just so that we can have a good crowd, but there is no such thing as a relationship without presence. Not gift-giving presence. Not, not that sort of presence. We'll get to that in a little bit. We're not talking about the Christmas presents. We're talking about being present to one another. There is no relationship without some level of presence. Even when our military is sent overseas and they are absent, what do we always hear about? We always hear about letters that are being written. Back from the... the, I feel terrible calling them the Great Wars, but the Great Wars, wars uh, World Wars One and Two. You know, you hear about all the letters that were written, and some of those letters being delayed years and years, some even generations. But letter writing is a way of being present to one another, even when we're absent. Now, you may exchange that with emails or text messages or phone calls, that sort of thing. But anyone who has been distanced from someone that they love dearly knows that letters and emails and phone calls and even Skypes and uh, FaceTiming and Facebooking and all that, that it just is not quite the same. And so, yeah, it's good that we've got our, our podcast for our church so that folks can go and listen to sermons. But number one, all they're getting is a sermon. They're not getting the band. 
they're not getting certainly not getting the fellowship that we have here. They're missing out on the incredible coffee and tea, Cheryl, the cookies. Nothing, nothing can replace face-to-face presence. Families have a responsibility to be present to one another. I have a responsibility. Unless I'm out of town, which is a pretty rare occasion, I had better be home at night. Right? I mean, that's pretty simple. That's a, that's a, that's a no-brainer type thing. The fact is, we, we have so many conflicting priorities and commitments. We, we try to do absolutely everything. And we try to keep the kids involved in absolutely everything. And if they're going to be involved, they're going to be involved 100%. And we've got this going on and that going on. And this is keeping me up late. And that's getting me up early. And we've got so many conflicting priorities and commitments that have us pulled absolutely everywhere. That we find it nearly impossible to just show up. In fact, I'm convinced that if we just cut out half of the responsibilities we've got going on and half of the commitments that we've made to things that are of lesser importance, that we would find ourselves being more present to one another, not just as a church, but as families. We would find ourselves relating to our spouses better, relating to our friends better, because we don't have everything just breathing down our necks. Worrying us about what we've got to get to next. Cutting out half of the things we've got going on might not be too bad of an idea. In fact, Jesus said if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Get rid of it. It's what Paul called in his letters to mortify the flesh. Put it to death. The fact is that many of us would be absolutely shocked and stunned to see our actual participation patterns in this church. I ask you to show up, not in a legalistic way, not as though you're going to try to earn points in heaven, not as though you're going to have a bigger and brighter crown when you get to glory, not, not as some method of works-related salvation, but just simply on the, on the appeal that you are part of the family of God. Be near your family. Your family needs you, and you need your family. That's where our responsibilities begin as the family of God. But they move beyond that. 
The second, and this is, this is perhaps even more difficult. Give in. By give in, I don't mean like give up or... I mean give in. Like give into the ministry of the church. Give toward it. Why does money matter? I, I remember hearing a, a preacher say money's not the most important thing in life, but it's right up there with breathing. And his point, which is a very valid point, and it's, it's kind of the starting line for any, any giving conversation that we have within a church, is this. Money may not be everything. It may not be the most important thing. God is able to do remarkably great with remarkably little. But in our world, you can hardly do anything without some money. The ministry of the church, this church, the church globally, the church up the street, the church meeting at the other school, the ministry of the church is directly dependent upon the resources of the local church. We can do nothing apart from having something to fund it. Many of us like to show up for dinner without knowing who's going to pay for the bill. Too often, we're like the family friend that just shows up to eat. The interesting thing is that since, uh, since we've got these giving envelopes, Bill, the kids have been really excited about giving. They really have. It, it, I mean, it, it's pretty incredible. The offering's a little, a little noisier because you've got all the change and everything in there. But what that tells you is that there's, there's a sense of eagerness to be a part of something bigger than them, to be a part of something bigger than, than, uh, uh, than, than you know, having a, a few extra dimes to buy some pieces of gum. This is not for guests. If you consider yourself a guest with us, I don't want you to feel at all compelled to give not a single dime to this church. Because this church ought to be able to fund itself. We ought to be responsible enough toward one another to take care of the needs that we have together. And so in encouraging you to give in, I want to encourage you, if you're not giving something, just start giving something. Anything. And families need to be together on this. Husbands, don't just take out your checkbook and write a check without your wife having a clue what you're doing. You need to be on the same page. But as Paul says here, my desire in this is not so that this church can receive gifts. My desire is to see people living in the fullness of what God offers them. 
And God is able to heal all things, even our broken finances, if we will trust Him, if we will look to Him, if we will say, Lord, all that I have is Yours, and I am thankful for that. And I want to be careful in how I am using what You've given to me. This is not some um, health and wealth message where, oh, if you'll give $10, God's going to give you 100 I wish that were the case. That would be easy, right? That, in fact, there's no real faith in that. If you knew if I give $10 right now in the plate, I'm going to have a $100 bill in my car sitting on, the, on my, 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 uh, my driver's seat when I get out there because God's just that good. Like clockwork. There'd be very little faith involved in giving. We'd be, we'd be beyond eager to give. And the scriptures do tell us that, that we ought to be eager to give. That, that God desires cheerful giving. Not spiteful or resentful. Not half-hearted. But we have a responsibility toward one another. I think it was Adam. Yeah, Adam, a few weeks ago, he, he and I were driving together. We were headed to, to, to Bill's uh, in-law's house to do some yard work. And we were talking about Meals on Wheels, and we are talking about doing the yard work and, you know, fixing roofs uh, for folks, clients on the Meals on Wheels route and everything and doing uh, litter pickup. And he said, how in the world are you able to do all this? I said, well... You can't without having something to, to, to fund it, clearly. And all of the good that we do in our community, which is beyond what we see on Sunday mornings, we're able to do because people give. People give freely and people give gladly. I mean, everything. Even stuff within here. Somebody rented this room. Somebody bought the coffee and the tea and the cookies. So as responsible members of the family of God, I want to encourage you, show up and give in. And kind of connected to that, I want to encourage you to pitch in. There are lots of things to be done. There are lots of things that we are currently doing. There are lots of things that we could be doing if only someone would say, hey, I'd like to do that. You know, we talk an awful lot about personal mission. If you've got an idea of some good that we can do to bless somebody, let us know. We want to do it. Well, we, we might want to do it. We probably want to do it. Pitch in. Why? Because things don't just get done. They're intentionally done by people. The coffee does not miraculously get made. It may taste as though it is miraculously provided, but I, I, I swear to you, the machine is plugged in and coffee is physically, literally, just like the resurrection, physically and literally, is scooped into the percolator and water is physically, literally poured into the percolator. 
things do not just get done. I'm reminded of uh, the humor of driving down the road and seeing litter and thinking, man, somebody really ought to clean up this litter. Look at this place. The next day, headed back to work, man, there's, there seems to be more litter than yesterday. Somebody really ought to do that. Well, number one, they actually have a program called Adopt a Mile. Our church participates in it where you can sign up to go pick up litter. But there's nothing stopping you from just pulling over on the side of the road one day and picking up some litter. Or saying, you know what? My leaves are raked this coming Saturday. I'm going, I'm just picking up that litter. It's driving me crazy. Pitch in. Take responsibility for stuff. Things don't just get done. Things are intentionally done by people. You know, we mentioned uh, as with the kids, some of the chores that they have at home. Taking out the trash was always mine when I was a kid. I, I had to clean my room weekly and clean up one of the bathrooms, uh, whichever one my sister hadn't got. And so whichever one of us volunteered and got, you know, took the initiative to pick a bathroom, that we got the pick. Uh, the other one had to come and clean up whatever was, whichever one was left. Washing dishes and cooking and vacuuming, doing laundry, all those different things are typical chores around a house. And we don't have hardly any of that, really, I don't think any of that here that we're responsible for. But there are responsibilities that we have. We need people to work in the nursery. We need people to, to help with Sunday school. We need help with providing coffee and tea and that sort of thing. We need help greeting, don't we, Bill? We need help with setup. And like I said, personal mission opens up all sorts of avenues of ways that you can minister through this local church. So I encourage you, pitch in. There was nothing, nothing binding the Philippian believers to Paul. There, in fact, they they didn't have uh, they didn't have their giving to him set up on automatic monthly bank draft. Although that'd have been convenient, they saw a need, and they met a need. I wonder if they ever, when they gathered together on Sunday mornings, because they did gather together every Sunday morning without fail. I wonder if they ever said, boy, we got a letter from Paul. He's really, he seems like he's really in a tough spot. Somebody ought to do something. They saw a need and they pitched in. As a family, it is our responsibility to pitch in with regard to the labor that depends upon the family. And lastly, and this is kind of weird because this isn't always connected. We don't normally connect this with families. But this is a responsibility for the family of God. And that is, I want to encourage you to reach out. 
Why do I want you to reach out? Why do I want you to tell people about Faith Methodist Church? Why do I want you to share your faith with people? Why do I want you to, to either check in on Facebook, letting folks know you're here, or share our, our, our podcast with your friends? Why is that important? Not just so that we can create a name for ourselves. Not so that we can try to grow something here. Not, not even so that we can become a bigger church. That would be exciting, but that's not the motivating factor. The motivating factor is this. This is part and parcel of your sharing Jesus. Reaching out to others and inviting them to church on Sunday mornings is part of your sharing your faith. It is a part of me sharing my faith. In fact, it's an easy part. It's much easier to say, you ought to come to church with me this coming Sunday morning. We meet at Harrison High School. I think you'd like it. That's a lot easier for me to say than, let me tell you the story of how I came to know Jesus. Or let me tell you the story of how He kicked my tail last week because of some lack of faith or some misplaced faith. Reaching out and telling people about this church and inviting them to church, that's kind of a... That's kind of a uh, a, a, a T-ball. We're, we're setting it on the T for you. This is part and parcel of growing God's family. And the interesting thing that we find throughout the Scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, is that God's chief concern is that He grow His family. In fact, when you find God angry in the Old Testament, He's angry at His family, and He says specifically, you have profaned My name to the nations. And we, we hear that and say, oh yeah, because they're making God look bad. And so we come up with our causes about how we're going to defend God's honor in our culture. And we're going to be culture warriors and boycott this group and talk bad about that group and be sure and tweet something about it. Because we think our concern ought to be over being protective of of God's image in the world. But what God told Israel was, You have profaned my name to the nations, which means you have made the nations to think that I'm nobody, to think that I'm just like any of the other gods, to think why would we serve Yahweh when we've got this guy or that guy. His concern was overexpanding his family. I want the nations to come. In fact, the psalm that, that Imogene so, uh, so beautifully read for us this morning, it's the shortest of all the psalms, which is funny because it's, it's two, uh, two psalms before the longest of all the psalms, Psalm 119. But Psalm 117 is the shortest. And it's very quick. Praise Him, O you Gentiles. Praise Him, nations of the earth. God wants more. I remember sitting in theology class in in, uh, Bible college and my professor um, said that it's as though in the heart of eternity... An eternal father looks to his eternal son and says, I want more. 
And so He creates people made in His own image so that we can be brought into the family. And shame on us for thinking, I'm glad I'm in the family and neglecting the invitation for others to come on in. If you like what you've got here, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. It's pretty plain and simple. To fail in reaching out to others to bring them into the family is to fail the family. It is to fail in our responsibilities to the family. What is this this morning? As a sermon, if there ever were one, this is kind of like a family intervention. You know, you corner people in the room and say, we need to talk. We got some hard things to discuss. It, 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 it in some ways, answers the question that... that Cain asked Yahweh when Yahweh said, Where is your brother Abel? You remember Cain's question, Am I my brother's keeper? In other words, what responsibility of mine is he? And the implied answer that need not even be spoken by Yahweh is, It is your responsibility. His health and His well-being is in your hands. Where is He? We are far, far too individualistic. We speak of a relationship with Jesus as being mine. We speak of a church as being mine. We speak of a faith as being mine. And in calling this intervention as a family, my intention is to help us to break bad cycles. To kill deadly habits. I made... um, Bill, I made Wheezy laugh during a sermon a few weeks ago because I quoted a, uh, an old punk rock song from MXPX. Responsibility, what's that? Responsibility, not quite yet. And she started laughing. Um, she told me later I hadn't heard that in years. But that's, a, that's an old punk rock song. You know, and typically we associate punk rock with kind of like, yeah, stick it to the man. and Highly individualistic and... I'm my own, my own person. I'm going to chart my own way. But the fact is that it, it, we often have a little bit of a punk rock nature to us. And I want to appeal to that and tell you to do what most people don't do. Because the typical thing is to just go on about life caring for only for yourself. The punk rock thing is actually to care about others. Not to care about others through programs and systems and philosophies, but to care about others by actually doing something.
And so while we might be asking responsibility, what's that? Because we would rather shirk our responsibilities toward one another and particularly to the family of God. The fact is that if our answer is always not quite yet, then we will never become responsible. The husband that cheats on his wife and says, just give me a little bit of time to sort it all out. We'll never get it sorted out. And so family, I want to encourage you. Be responsible toward one another. You owe it to each other to show up. You owe it to each other to give in. You owe it to each other to pitch in. And you owe it to each other to reach out. Because God loves us as His very own family. And He wants to see His family grow so that others can be a part of that family. And it will never, absolutely never happen until we all become responsible to one another. Let's pray.